As always, I'm your host, Emma, and today we're going to talk about our first poem. I know. I'm usually not a poetry person, but I really like this poem. Ozymandias is one of my favorite poems. It's by Percy Shelley, who you might be like, Shelley, where do I know that name from? He is the husband of Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, our queen of gothic literature. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Percy Shelley was born in 1792 and died in 1822. He started writing at the age of 17 and he was part of the Ameri uh, English Romanticism. And according to Webster Dictionary, Romanticism is characterized by its emphasis on emotions and individualism. And it talks about nature, um, science, and the glorification of the past in strong preference for the medieval rather than the classical. And he took both to the extreme of joyous ecstasy and brooding despair. And who doesn't? I mean, I am the same. I love joyous ecstasy and being happy. And then I also love a good brooding moment. I mean, we all do it. And Poetry Foundation, which is a great website if you ever want to like learn about poetry or people that are poets and people that have been influential in the poetry world, um, the Poetry Foundation is absolutely fantastic. And they, and this is, I love this, this was on Percy Shelley's biography page, and I think it's great. It says, Romanticism's major themes, relentlessness and brooding, rebellion against authority, interchange with nature, the power of visionary imagination and of poetry, the pursuit of ideal love, and the untamed spirit, even in search imagination and of poetry, the pursuit of ideal love and untamed spirit, even in search of freedom, all of these Shelley exemplified in the way he lived his life and live on in substantial bodies of work that he left in the world after his legendary death by drowning at age 29. Whoa. So Ozymandias is said to be one of the best poems written in the English language, and I do not disagree. It is a sonnet. It's 14 lines. It's written in iambic pentameter. And for those that don't know, iambic pentameter is a rhyme structure that most commonly used in poetry that combines unstressed syllables and stressed syllables in groups of five. You can kind of hear it. Shakespeare is written in iambic pentameter. It kind of mimics the harpy a little bit. And story of Ozymandias is describing the broken statue of Ramses II. Ozymandias is Ramses' Greek name, and Ozzy means heir, and Mandius means ruler. So he was the ruler of both the earth and the sky. And Ramses II was an Egyptian pharaoh that lived between 1279 and 1213 BC. So the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to have you guys listen to it. And as you know, if you are pop culture, my brother is very into Breaking Bad. And pop culturally, this poem had a big resurgence when Brian Cranston, who is in Breaking Bad, read it. And there is that whole episode titled Ozymandias and this was a big pop culture reference. So I'm going to have him read it because I like his version of how he reads it and then we're going to get back and talk about the poem. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed 
pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Okay, so going line by line, we're going to go through it together. So it starts with, I met traveler from an antique land. And so the narrator is not the one telling the story. He's introducing a second character, and antique means part of an ancient time. Who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Then there's ellipses. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell its sculpture well those passions read. He's describing the face of Ramses laying in the sand. And so think about it like a ruin, like an ancient ruin. He's half in the sand, half there. And he has this sneer that's kind of mocking people because Ramses was a very powerful and influential war hero for Egypt. And so he liked to erect statues of himself. And you can imagine like that pompous smile on his face when dictators make statues of themselves they like to boast about themselves so he has this smile that's mocking people who are there and then continues which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed and this is now talking about the sculptor who made it that this is who depicted it and this is who gave their heart to making this statue and on the pedestal which is the base of the statue these words appear my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. So that's what is written and edged into the pedestal of the statue. And that's where you get the name Ozymandias, which is again Ramses II. And that he's the king of kings. He is the king of all kings. He is seen as the best in his mind. And he wants you to look on the empire he has made and bask in the glory of it and then the irony of it comes in the next line nothing besides remain round and decay of that colossal wreck boundless and bare the lone and level sands stretch far away now the colossal wreck also references um the colossus of Rhodes, which was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world and it was on the isle of Rhodes, and it is said that it was such a big statue that ships could sink under well not sink that ships could sail under it and it was how many merchants and visitors were welcomed into the area and then it was destroyed when the city was attacked and nothing was left and it was one of the great wonders of the ancient world and it's sad that we don't have it anymore and i kind of find it interesting that they are comparing this random statue of ozymandias because he had many of them but this is just a random one that was found and they're comparing that to the Colossal Rhodes, which was world famous and people from all around the ancient world would travel to it. I think that kind of also shows how Ozymandias saw himself. So when you think about it, it's telling the story of a man who had everything. He was an emperor. He was powerful. He was a dictator. He had everything he possibly could wanted. And now his statue lays broken in ruins, half sunk in the sand, and there's nothing there. If anything, it's a humbling story. It tells us that time and death will always 
humble us at the end of the day. You can be one of the most powerful people ever, but you're still at the end of your life going to be treated the same way as everyone else and you will die. And I think we lose track of that because I think power does corrupt, money does corrupt, all this stuff. And Ozymandias or Ramses II is an example of that. Because remember, he had all these statues of himself and he was an emperor and he was a king and all this stuff. And what is left of him right now? This broken statue that was come across by some random traveler. The traveler doesn't even have a name. And he's just telling the story like, yeah, I found this thing. He's not even called by his Egyptian name. He's called by his Greek name. Kind of makes you wonder like how influential was he in other areas? And yeah, we know, well, Ramses was very influential. We still study him. He, I remember reading about him. There's books about him. There's people that dedicate their lives to studying about him. But again, it makes you think. Did he think he was going to live forever? Did he think he was this grand person? And did he have this future set for himself that he couldn't even reach? Think about it. He claims himself to be the king of kings and to look on his works and all that he's accomplished. And the next thing you read is that nothing besides remains. There's nothing left of Ramses' empire. I mean, yeah, like Egypt is still around. I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists like, oh no, it's not around. But no, it's not the same. Ramses' empire, the one that he made himself is not there anymore. It's a different Egypt. The places Ramses has conquered are not his anymore. These statues that were of him, that people worshipped, are broken and in ruins. And it makes you think, what will happen to us? And it's a short poem. It's only 14 lines long. And this episode is a short one because the poem is short, but it makes you think a lot. I don't think you leave... I don't think you live the same life after reading Ozymandias. It's one of my favorite poems. I'm not a poetry person. I'm not a very big poetry person, as you know. I rarely talk about it. But Ozymandias is one of my favorite. I think it relates to a lot of characters. I actually have a book that starts with it. I called it Collateral Damage, and it starts with the poem of Ozymandias and what is going to be left for these people at the end of it. Ozymandias is a poem I always reference in my books. If you, <laughs> um, I think the more I put work out there, the more people are going to notice that I reference Ozymandias a lot. In fact, the novel I talked about, um, my Jack the Ripper novel that I talked about, my um, writing a novel in a, in a month, one of the titles I came up with was Jack Hughes, King of Kings. So I, I really like, you can kind of tell Ozymandias has had a substantial impact on my literary. It's probably one of those things I read it too young and it emotionally changed me. But anyway, I know this is a very short episode. It's a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. But I think I don't want to beat the dead horse with this. And I think sometimes shorter episodes are kind of nice between the bigger ones. And also, Ozymandias, I think, is a poem you guys sit there and think about a lot for you guys. And I can't give you all the answers because, again, interpretations are all different. But let me know what you guys think about it. What is your favorite poem, Ozymandias? That's just said is my favorite what's your favorite and coming up next we are going to be talking about Hans Landa and the opening scenes of Inglorious Bastards which was a beautifully shot scene it's 
dynamic. It's like no other scene I've seen before. Not only because of the length, but because of all the great ways it starts with the movie. So we're going to be talking about Kai and Glorious Bastards as a whole, but primarily focusing on that opening scene. If you're a screenwriter or producer or director, I'm sure you've seen it. You've talked about it in class. It's kind of everywhere. And then after that, we're going to talk about The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt and why I don't think Donna Tartt can be made into a movie and her books can be made into a movie. I've read all three of them and I think there are certain books you cannot adapt into movies. I think Donna Tartt is one of those authors where you cannot adapt her books into movies and we're going to be talking about that why. And then after that, we're going to be reading Crime and Punishment and I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy, which is a book I cannot find anywhere, so it's my first audiobook ever. So don't know how that's gonna go out. It's just sold out everywhere. I cannot find it anywhere. It's kind of frustrating, but whatever. And thank you for stopping by. Again, I'm sorry for such a short episode, but I guess it's what happens when you only have 14 lines to work with. Thank you again, always for the support. And as always, this has been the notes from the library.